0: One quick note before we launch the podcast, our special promo for new subscribers is still going on, but only for a few more days. The end is near. The time is now. Sign up using promo code USC60 and get a 60-day free trial and access to all of our premium content. That's promo code USC60. Sports Podcast, we've uh, let that USC lost to Cal sink in for a day or so. I'd say this has been one of the more active weekends on the message board on Trojan Talk. Um, Not so much the need to break down the game, but really the aftermath of the game and what it means. Uh, So I'm joined by Adam Maya. I'm Ryan Young, it's your usual Sunday-Monday tandem here. And let's get right into it. Adam, um, we've been talking the last few weeks about Clay Helton's future, Lynn Swan's comments a couple weeks ago. What changes, do you think, with uh, this latest loss and and really, again, how they lost?
1: Well, clearly for the fan base, nothing changed. They've been out. They've stopped coming for a while. I mentioned in my column that They have yet to crack 60,000 for a game. And I'll tell you why that's significant. Because that hadn't happened since early 2002. Yes. For 15 years, they had at least 60,000 every game. And this year, they haven't done it once. So they've already decided what should happen and what they want. And they're basically waiting for it to happen now with every loss it feels there's an aura of inevitability I feel like. That that's the, the sense that came over me during that cow game. Whereas before I thought this could happen, this eventually will happen. Now it feels like okay it's probably gonna happen very soon. And I'm guessing here, like we all are, but I would imagine that they they make a move at the end of the season, and, and again, I'm guessing. I do not know that. In fact, most of the intel I gotten for the previous month was that Clay basically had an assurance that he would be back next year, but I feel like that was contingent upon a certain measure of success that was expected and assumed. And now they're 5-5, five and five, and they might not make a bowl game. And even if they do, it would just require beating a 2-8 and eight UCLA team. But unless they beat UCLA and Notre Dame, I don't think Clay's coming back.
0: Yes, yeah, so two weeks ago when we talked about Lynn Swan's comments, and we gave our reaction and our interpretation from those, mine was that Swan wanted to have a reason to bring clay back and not have to make this change this off season, but he still had to have that reason. Clay Helton had to show him something that he could spin and sell and, and, and turn forward and into keeping him next year. And he's not giving him that. And and I do think the dynamics change and the, the equation changes, you know, it's not, just that they're out of the Pac-12 South Hunt or that it was not loss. It was the continuing theme of the season. We've talked all year about this team not having an identity. Well, actually, I think they do because when that safety happened, that bad snap and safety happened early in the third quarter, you had to have a feeling that here we go again. There's a real chance they're going to blow this whole thing. And that's ridiculous to think When it was still a 14-2 game, and statistically, USC had dominated Cal. But that feeling just kind of set over me. I'm sure I was not alone.
1: Uh, No, uh, Isaiah Langley was on board with you. Yeah. That's pretty indicative. So, right after that safety, Isaiah Langley is walking on the sideline, and he bumped shoulders a bit strongly with JT Daniels, and we only can see a TV copy of it, but it looked like it wasn't accidental, and JT was confused, and kind of looked back, like, what's going on, and that's where we we know Lane, we said that, like, you know, I butted heads with, with teammates, and I was frustrated, and he didn't want to say much more, he just said that it was a team thing, but I, I made a comment, and they didn't like it, and, and you saw a couple players get in between and kind of uh, move him away while he's still talking and walking down the sideline. And Shuma Hidoga, the peacemaker, had to intercede. It, a very weird moment, given what you're just saying. That that play, that safety, made it 14-2. I know that it gave Cal a short field and they would end up scoring. But USC had been pitching a shutout. The offense had played pretty well, maybe left some points on the board in the first half. But there's nothing from that one moment that should say, like, the snowball's rolling down the hill and we can't stop it and this game's over. And yet there was that dread, uh, that you said that you recognized and apparently they did too. And and that's what happened. I mean it happened quickly. It wasn't even like it took the entire half. Right. Crowd right. scored in a matter of eight minutes all three times, and took a 15-14 lead in the middle of the third quarter, and it didn't score again, and it didn't matter. The, the offense shut down.
0: And, and, and that's my point here, though, that I think that is the identity of this team, unfortunately, is that the minute things go wrong, they go really wrong, and they have very rarely shown any ability to recover, and, and that is an indictment on the top down. That, that's that's the tone set for the program, for the team, um, the lack of second half adjustments, the lack of being able to rally when, when things go awry, that has become the identity for this team. So we've been searching all season for it. That's it. And I think, I think that's the, the biggest reason why I agree with you that I think Lynn Swan has to make the move now or is going is to make the move because what, what do you, what hope are you selling for next year? after what we've seen this season. It's not about having a freshman quarterback or having injuries here or there. It's it's about the way this team plays, the way it responds. It's so much deeper than the record and the numbers. And, you know, coming in this year, for me, fresh, not having scrutinized the program the last two years, not having a really strong opinion one way or the other about Clay Helton, I've been very open-minded. I think that was the fair way to approach it for me. I don't want to rush to a, to a rash opinion. I think that Cal game more than anything pushed me over the edge of seeing what the fan base sees, uh, aligning with the thought that it's hard to buy into optimism or hope for next year or the future. When, when you see how those proceedings play out.
1: I know it's new for you and, uh, and I understand that maybe coming in, you would think, is everyone maybe being a little bit overreactive and and expectations are just too high? Like they should be high, but maybe they're too high because you look at the, the final mark of, you know, 10 and 3 two years ago, Rose Bowl victory, top five finish, and then last year... Pac-12 title, uh, top, what, I think they finished like 12th because they didn't win the bowl game, but they actually finished higher in the final CFP ranking than they had the year before. They won one more game, they won 11-3. And, and these are years one and two for Clay Helton, And so I, I always go back to that myself and think, have I lost perspective? You know, it can be hard to remain objective sometimes. When you're writing for Trojansports.com, and and reading the message board every day, and and even if you came in from day one skeptical of the hire, I think any reasonable person would acknowledge that Clay overachieved for himself. So we all knew that this year would probably be different. Without Sam Darnold. And. I thought. It could be. Just above 500. I thought that was about the floor. I saw the ceiling being a lot lower. Than a lot of other people. Like 9 and 3. Maybe 10 and 2. Depending on. How good the Pac-12 was. Which it's just been whatever. So. So. A good USC team probably would go ten and two. They they have the the victory over Washington State, who only has one loss. So this isn't a great Pac twelve. I say all this because for me, nothing really changed with what's happened, not this Cal game or the loss at Texas. Uh, Stanford won. A lot of us expected. Uh, even that Utah one. I mean, you, you remember I kept saying I think they're going to lose at Utah when Utah was playing poorly early in the year because there's just been such a pattern of not being able to perform against good to, to great teams on the road. It's, just, it's been there from the beginning, even with Sam Darnold. So I don't see this as being like a collapse. I really don't. I think this is what what it is with Clay and that's why I think it's unfortunate that it's gonna come down on him in one season because I don't think that anything really changed with him. I don't think that he's gotten worse or he lost his way or he lost hold of the program. I think that's what a lot of people want to want to rush to. That you know everything spiraling out of control. This team right now wasn't built to to do a lot. It's built maybe well to do something in the future, and I don't know that Clay would take it there. I, my guess is that he's probably not ready to to get USC where USC fans wanted to go to. That's been my thought from day one. That hasn't changed. Nothing that happened two years ago changed that for me. But I don't think that he's, again, uh, falling apart as a coach and, and doesn't know what he's doing at all. I think that He doesn't have as good of a team, and where he's got in his kind of coaching development, this is what he'll produce. And I think why they're going to have to ultimately make this change, if we're just being completely objective about it, Clay Hilton is an offensive coach. So you look at the offense, and that's where you can look at the Cal game. And they were shut out in the second half, which has happened a few times now. In fact, in seven of ten games, they went without a touchdown in either the third or fourth quarter. And then in four games, they they went scoreless in a third quarter and then scoreless in a fourth quarter. Yeah. And these are games where... They're, they're in the game. They, they need points. This isn't where they're ahead by, by 30 and the game's over and they've already put it away. Or even that they're down by 30. Because that hasn't really happened either. You know, Stanford, they were down 14 nothing. That game's not over at halftime. Although it felt over watching it. And in Utah, they were winning that game 14-3. And they lose their lead. Fourteen nothing. Fourteen nothing. Excuse me. Uh, Texas is fourteen three, and they're down sixteen fourteen halftime. So these second halves matter, and they get shut down because they get out coached. And so Cal, they're up fourteen nothing.
0: And, and not only fourteen nothing, they have outgained Cal two hundred thirty seven to sixty nine at that yeah. point. This was as one sided of a game as you could get, and. They were very close to it being 21 nothing if St. Brown doesn't fumble at the 10-yard line.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment, but just second half real quick here. So they go an entire half accumulating 40 yards and 31 plays. <sighs> they didn't have a single play past midfield. They didn't continue to to run the ball when they could have, they weren't completely ineffective running the ball. The numbers will look weird because of the sacks and the back snap, but Octocentric Ware was still productive in the second half after having a fabulous first half. And I don't know why they got away from that. It, when you're in a game, when you're kind of in a dogfight, and they basically were down by a point for the majority of the half because of the flurry that Cal went on in the early third quarter. But they don't run the ball as much, which confused me, and JT had a completely different second half, where it just seemed like Cowell understood everything that USC wanted to do. Everything that they were trying to do, and they took it away uh, in a passing game. Well, that's Clay Helton. He became the play caller. He anointed himself a couple weeks ago, demoted Key T. Martin, which... I thought for him was the right move. And I understood that with Key, things had gotten to a point of no return, I felt like, offensively. And it had been trending in that direction really since the beginning of 2017. So now I think (laughs) some people are going to absolve Key of everything and and put it all on Clay. No, Key was the primary play caller for the majority of this. But unfortunately for Clay, now you got to run it and and it didn't look any different two weeks in. They were completely shut down. So that brings me back to if you're Lynn Swan, why would you run this back with the offensive-minded head coach? Whether he's the play caller or not, it's basically his deal on offense. On defense, you know, it, you have a lot, I think, to to build upon and, and reason for encouragement. And even even though they're depleted, look at how well they played. They were victimizing this game, basically. But they had played one of their best games again, which they've done not every game, but for a lot of the year, they played well enough for USC to win. I don't see how moving forward, you justify bringing back the offensive coach when the offense is broken and has been breaking for two years now.
0: Yeah, to me it's even beyond just the offense, though. It's just the, the abject lack of resilience. Just I, I just can't comprehend how every time when things go bad, it's just over, it's just done. I mean, how many games have we seen a positive response in situations? Washington State, yeah, it's kind of the, the the one outlier,
1: Arizona but, State.
0: Yeah, but, but even in that game, after they got the lead, and, and then Vaughn's drops the touchdown pass, the game swings in the next two minutes, and they can't recover.
1: Yeah, they couldn't. They didn't stop the bleeding in time.
0: Yeah, I, I, even in some of the wins, the, the Arizona win, they they barely hang on after being up twenty-four nothing. Right. I, I just don't understand. It's it, it's it's something deeper in in the way this this team is coached or or, what or, it's lacking beyond just personnel, that there's just a kind of a, a give-up. And we see it so often.
1: Yeah, well, and, okay. You give up by the players? You think that they they let and, go?
0: No, that's probably not, not the fair word. Because I don't think but, so. I don't agree with that. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, let me correct that and say there's a lack of answers. There's yeah. just – there's no answers. And uh, there's telling comment after the game – JT Daniels was, was asked, you know, why does this happen in the second half? And he said, I wish I could tell you. Yeah, That was his quote. And, and he, well, he doesn't said, have
1: a lot of answers for a lot of things.
0: And he, he also said, though, and, and, and this was very, I thought, spot on. He goes, it's literally one thing goes wrong and we can't overcome it. One guy goes off sides, One guy drops a pass. I make the wrong read. One thing happens and the an entire drive shuts down. Yeah. And And, and that's true.
1: Yeah, I I thought about that comment because it made them sound so vulnerable. And he was being honest. He said, "You know, we have one bad play per drive. You know, within the first three plays, and you can't have two out of three good plays because then you're in you're in third down and you probably won't convert." And that's what happened to them. The thing about that—that wasn't happening in the first half. I mean, it's literally night and day how they move the ball and how they operated in the first half compared to the second half. It's it's, it's
0: once it, – when things are going well, they go well. Once adversity hits, then it's, it's gone. It's just, it's just over. Well, I think they get
1: figured out. That's what I, I see happening is that they often get figured out, especially when they're playing from ahead, because that's what coaching is. It's looking at what are they doing and how do we take that away. Absolutely. And, and at the beginning of the game, you're, you're guessing, based on your film study, what you think they'll do. And sometimes you're you're right, and sometimes you're not. And that's how a good defense could get beat early in a game, because they're guessing wrong. But Cal, think about how, how right they have to be. When you look at the talent difference between USC and Cal right now, this isn't even 2005. In 2018... The disparity in talent is pretty notable between Cal and USC.
0: They had 207 total yards and won.
1: 207. Yeah. That's how they had to win, too. We knew that if Cal would win this game, it would have to be in the teens. They weren't winning the way ASU beat USC. They they had to do this. They had to basically play a near-flawless game for an extended period and get and, help from usc and get help and they they did it for a half though it wasn't even like they done it for for three or four quarters they really just did it for a half and that was enough that's bad that that's just bad it it shows me that usc isn't managed well and and then we get into some of the the particulars of the game, specific moments, that this is kind of what I got into in my column that I felt are basically a microcosm of how this team uh, isn't prepared to be great. So I'm going to start with, to me, okay, you can begin with the fake field goal which I think everyone just agrees is a stupid call. Uh, it's a bad play. Uh, but it was so early in the game that I don't think it had like, major consequence. I'm not going to yeah. just tack on three points and say everything from there happens the way it did, and therefore they lost because of that play.
0: You, you can't. I know, but I, I think it lacks awareness for what kind of game this was. And I've often applauded Clay's aggressiveness. I, I, I've liked them going for it on fourth down in a lot of situations they have but in this game where you know it's going to be a low scoring game and a 42 yard field goal should be for the most part a chip shot
1: it's not not a chip shot for Michael Brown it's not that's why they didn't attempt against Arizona State from even shorter
0: yeah they're clearly lacking confidence in him because he's had almost no opportunities the last three weeks so sure I still think it's the right play is just to try and go for those points though
1: yeah, uh, I, I get it. I get the logic in kicking, or run a, run a play then. Then go for it. Try to, try to convert it with your best players in the field. That too, yeah. Yeah, don't, don't do it the way you get it. But that play, in the grand scheme, is not a deal-breaker at all to me. I actually think it came, it came undone for them with that fumble from among Ross St. Brown, and I don't know what you felt about that. To me, it was a big deal because they were going to go up three scores. They were at the 10-yard line at that point. They'll make that field goal, if they even have to kick it. They had nearly a minute left and had an opportunity to go up 21 nothing before the half, which you're, you're in the territory of, of stepping on Cal's throat. Cal can only come back from so much. They're not going to put up 30. And if you're at 21 at halftime, you might have enough even right then to win that game. Or you might only need another field goal in the entire second half to put them away. And the issue I have with, with the play is that it was a third down, a third and five, which Amon Roddy did a great job of converting. The way he ran the route, made the catch, and was moving forward, and had gotten the first down. And but you know, there's a crowd around him, and him lacking the awareness of, okay, go down. This play's over. We achieve what we needed. The clock will stop by me converting. There's no concern about the time, uh, about the conversion, and yet. He fumbled in the manner in which most receivers fumble after a catch, fighting for a yard that they don't need.
0: Uh, uh, unless he didn't realize he had the first down at that point. And we don't know what his, his visual awareness was of where he was relative to the marker.
1: Well, yeah, it looked to me like he knew exactly where he was because that's where he ran his route. And so when he caught it, you know, he, he has a first. And he's trying to make something happen, in really tight quarters, I, he's clearly trying to extend the play. And, and why I had an issue with this is because he already kind of achieved the objectives of the play, and you can't fumble there. You, you, can't, like you cannot fumble right there in that spot. You're better off, let, let's say you don't think you have the conversion, then, okay, it's fourth and one. And either you're kicking a field goal, or you're going for it, you're probably kicking. That's better than the risk of fumbling. But I feel like not knowing that, now I, I realize he's a freshman, I would call him advanced, I would call him intelligent and usually makes the right play. But to me it actually goes back to Clay, unfortunately. And and a point I made in my story was that while he cannot literally control what his players do he can't control the situation and that's an instance where I felt like the message hadn't been made clear protect the ball here we're in field goal range no matter what you do above all else that would go for the quarterback for the running back whatever play they're running everyone has to be on the same page the number one objective here is to protect the ball given where we were at. They were on the 15-yard line when that play started. you got to protect the ball. They don't, and they give away they give away at least three, if not seven points, that I do think at the end of the day made a dramatic difference. So that's where it started. We know where it went from there. What do you think about the fumble? What, what are your thoughts when, when you see that all transpiring?
0: that to me is, is more nitpicking than the more obvious glaring critiques we can make about the lack of discipline, the lack of accountability for things like Dickey Marshall's penalty at the end, the absolute lack of willingness to consider moving to a, and we'll get into those. I, I think the fumble is more of a nitpicking thing. i I don't know if... if well, if, my if biggest, they score
1: there, do you think they win the game? Of course, but then I, it's I don't not know nitpicking. That. It's not nitpicking then.
0: No, 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 no. To the course of the game, sure. It's it's, it's not my biggest indictment of clay that Amun Ra fumbled there, is what I'm saying.
1: It's not, game, no, it's not the biggest yes, it one. Huge. It's not number one. It was it can be the first one.
0: Yeah, I understand. I I, I put a lot more weight on the other ones, though, Just where I come down on this. Yeah, so. okay, well, let's
1: go through them. I, I agree. There were bigger ones.
0: So so let's get into the Toa. I mean... Clay has been asked, I don't know how many times this season. I I know I've asked him. You've asked him. We had asked Neil Calloway before he was let go. I've asked T. Martin. This question has been asked week after week after week. Will you look into possibly changing centers? And every week, the answer is not only a no, but but almost like a why would we? They're
1: indignant about it.
0: Yeah. And it's... All along, and and not to say that, you know, I mean, I I think everyone saw this. At at some point, it was going to come back to undermine them in a huge situation. It was bound to. It was happening too often that the odds indicated it was going to happen in a situation that was really going to swing a game. And sure enough, it does. And even after that, Clay is still staunch in his defense of Toa, and he's, he's our best center, and everything else you said. Uh, it's just, uh, that to me is infuriating the fans because th- there is no accountability. Then It doesn't matter. It's, i decide decided this is the guy so whatever happens he's still the guy.
1: Yeah, I know the comments didn't help but I think the actions were the real issue here beyond the back snap because I know that he did not want to make a change because he felt like he'd be blaming everything on Toa Lovengaun, although, again, it's a 14-2 game, or call it 14-9 when the offense goes back onto the field. But that can't matter in that spot. There's too much game left to play. You're only winning by five. You have to make a change there for everyone, for the betterment of the entire team. It, it can't be about Toa. It can't be about Toa's feelings in that spot. And at the end of the day. Toa would understand. He might not like it. But Toa is going to understand. That he's a liability. And he giving them reason. To make a change. He forced their hand. But even when he did that. They didn't make the change. And I thought. That to me. Might be as big or bigger of a problem. Than the fact that he was in there. In that moment. To make the back snap. Because. The hard part with Toa was that, like, yes, he would go, you know, long periods where everything was fine or everything was all right. I know that there was still a lot of low snaps and weird ones, but not like the one that happened at the beginning of the third quarter. That hadn't happened. And they kind of gotten away with it, and they were playing with fire. And, of course, they should have made a change a long time ago. I'm not saying that he should have been in there but i understood after a certain point where okay we're getting away with it and, and that's just kind of the way things were going and i don't know i, I don't i don't want to were they were they i mean getting away with it I can visually recall
0: enough plays where a low snap forced JT to fall on the ball and cost him a, a series. It, had,
1: it hadn't cost him a game, I guess is what I'm saying. It just
0: Yeah, it, but you had to feel that
1: that was could. a
0: very real possibility right. with the frequency was happening.
1: So yeah.
0: even so beyond his comments after the game, Clay has asked about this again last night in this conference call with reporters. And his response just to me seemed so out of touch. With the situation, he, again, you use the word indignant, and that's what it was. Uh, when he was asked about it last night, he goes, "I don't know. I don't know how else to explain this. Towa's our best center. He's a, he's a great center. He's a great offensive lineman for us. Yeah, and-, and and it doesn't matter what we ask. I mean, we could have followed up with ten follow-ups of of why. I mean, how do you not see that this is a problem? And he, he just doesn't." He either chooses to be blind to it or he just doesn't see
1: it. Yeah, the only way that could be true would be if they knew that Brent Milan and Justin Gidich, their two backup centers who are trained centers who were recruited to play center only, can't snap either. Which and they wouldn't know wouldn't, that because they haven't played.
0: Except for the UNLV game when when Neilan. My recollection did not have any bad snaps.
1: Yeah, yeah, he, he played a little bit, uh, but but they they would have to know that that they were just as bad in that way, because Clay has made mention of the fact that Toa is doing really well as a run blocker, and and so they like him there. He's obviously their their redshirt senior captain. They don't want to make a change because. They just want him to get it right. And they feel like everything ar- around him will be settled with him in the middle. And I, it probably has to do with communication and helping JT. Uh, there, there are more things in snapping that Tola is responsible for. It's a lot more than anybody else on the offensive line. And that's why I'm thinking this is probably why they felt like the bad snaps weren't detrimental enough to outweigh all the things that toe had done i'm not agreeing with that i'm just trying to understand their logic but when that play happened i wasn't done making this point here when the play happened the bad snap if i'm the head coach i have to make a change there everyone on my sideline has to know that we're committed to winning here that that play was too costly, and it wasn't the exception of the rule. We've been watching this all year, and while maybe that exact scenario hadn't played out like that, that was that that should break the camel's back. You you can't. There has to be a breaking point. Like we talked about, uh, Antonio and I talked about J T Daniels and. What it would require for him to be benched in favor of Jack Sears because there's not a quarterback competition, it's not open, and and yet with every quarterback there has to be a breaking point. I think JT is a really, really long leash, way too long in my opinion. I don't think they're even considering a change at all, but there would have to be some breaking point where okay, after this many games and you know and this many interceptions and what have you. Like we're gonna to have to play a different quarterback. Well, toleg to me had probably already gotten to that point. If I were the head coach, I would have already made a change quite a while ago. But if that wasn't a breaking point for Clay, then is there one? I I wonder if there even. I feel like there isn't one. Then I, yeah. I don't know what I don't know what it would take at that point.
0: I was really curious after the game to get Toa's perspective and and to his credit he came and took all the questions he faced it head on and i asked him point blank i said have you at any point this fall felt personally that maybe center was not your best position and his response was very telling he said yeah it's it you know it's in the back of my mind but i don't want to take anyone else's spot
1: but you, he's you know, taking one right now
0: yeah but it, it, in, in his mind, he, he doesn't want to displace a entrenched starter so he can be moved elsewhere. But
1: You can't coach he, like that, right? I mean, that's is no, frame no, of I mind.
0: The, the fact that he even, even acknowledged, though, that he personally has had doubts or questions about whether he should be a center, I think says it all.
1: Well, there, there's that, but I also feel like what he's saying might be what Clay Helton is feeling. Not about whether that's his number one spot, but that yeah. I don't want to move him somewhere and bench a different kid.
0: Exactly. You, you can't
1: coach it's, like that. You,
0: you can't. And, and moving forward, I have to wonder, how is this not going to be in Toa's mind the rest of the season? This week, how is he going <laughs> well,
1: to... Yeah, the season's over, right? You
0: know, no, I know. I know, but I'm, I'm just saying, you know... How is he not gonna be thinking about that bad snap on Saturday?
1: Well, I think oh. everyone's thinking about it. That that's the problem. It, it it's not even about Toe anymore. It doesn't really matter. It's about everyone. It's about everyone in that locker room looking at their head coach. Like you're costing us a game here by not making a change. An obvious change. Toe Lovendon, if he if he has to play, if if you really believe that outside of his snapping that he's one of your top five linemen and he probably is then he, more than anyone, can move. Now, I wouldn't move him to left tackle, personally, but he can play guard. He can play guard. And you, I think, given what they, were, what they were doing at right guard, they're rotating now, not because of injury, which never happens. Usually they're only rotating guys because they're not totally healthy or they're really young and they haven't won the spot yet. But Andrew Voorhees had been entrenched as a starter now for the better part of two years and now is sharing time in a timeshare with Elijah Vera Tucker, move toward the right guard. If he if he's better than me than both of those kids, then play in that right guard. But you can't have him playing center if he can't snap. And and of course, it came up after the game and when I asked about it, Clay made the point about there were 73 perfect snaps, is the phrase that he used, and one bad one. That's not true, Clay. It's not. There weren't 73 perfect ones. There were a handful of poor ones. They weren't, they weren't the, the fumble, but there were a handful of poor ones there. And, and that, that percentage is too great. You, you really can't afford more than maybe one a game. And, and, and it can't be like the one that they had either. It, it, it would just be like one where the quarterback falls on it. You could probably deal with one a game. Like, because that one almost always ruins a drive, especially for this offense. You do not have a good enough offense to overcome that, that bad snap on that, that given possession.
0: Yeah, I, I just see a lack of accountability with this team and a lack of discipline. And I, I understand that Clay wants to protect his kids. He's not going to throw a player under the bus. And we don't know what, what he says to them in private. We only know what, what we get, what the public message is. But it seems to be he doesn't realize there's a a middle ground, a gray area between throwing a guy under the bus and completely absolving them every time game-changing impactful things happen in the negative yeah I and and and, and his, his blanket comment after every game is i i told the kids whatever happened on the field it's on me it's my responsibility that's great you know it is your responsibility you're the head coach but that comment doesn't mean anything that's a hollow comment and it hurts clay's public image his, his perception which is already damaging the fan base but it's it, it shows a disconnect it's it, 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 it it projects someone who is not in touch with the issues of his team, and to think that just saying whatever happened on the field was my fault, I'll get it fixed every time, is not giving anyone confidence or or making anyone feel better about the situation or giving anyone hope that something has been identified that's going to be tangibly changed the next time out.
1: Right. I mean, they're they're honorable words, and I think he's being sincere, and I think they're going to come true he will be held accountable for it and it will cost him his job that that's what's going to happen here is that he will be held accountable for it he he's not holding the players accountable for it and ultimately he will be held accountable for it when i think the better approach would have been to hold the player accountable for it in the moment it doesn't really matter what you say to the media or the sure. public. That's, it's irrelevant at the end of the day. A lot of coaches don't say anything. Uh, I appreciate that Clay is genuine. It's his greatest quality. As a coach, as a human being. And, and it, it makes our lives a lot easier in the media. <laughs> that's what's hard about a lot of this, too, is that nobody that's covering him would want him to go. No, it
0: time and again, he, he is the nicest person that I've dealt with in college athletics at any level of position, team, conference. He's a, he's a great man. He is.
1: Yeah. I i had a hard time. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to take you behind the, the curtain of my, my soul here. I had a really difficult time writing my last column because I'm basically firing him. And that's hard because Clay connects with you with, with everybody that he meets. He's a great man and has worked really hard to get here and i I never thought he'd done a bad job even right now. I, I know that they're playing poorly and this is becoming like a bad team and it's a bad season, but I've always felt like, He's doing what he can. This is where he was at. This is what you were going to get when you hired a first-time coach with his pedigree. This is basically what I expected. And, and in fact, I did not think that they were going to do everything that they did in years one and two. And so it made the the fall even harder, basically, for him. And, And everyone's expectations were probably out of whack. But I really did think that this is probably about what it would be with him. And I think he's doing everything that he knows to do. And this was not a place to learn for him. But that was the the position that he was put in. And if you get hired you don't decline the job, it wasn't his fault that he got the job. I think a lot of people are blaming him, like you should have never been the coach and how dare you, but like <laughs> if you're him, of course you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do it. You're gonna agree to yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day he's doing what he knows to do and and that is to to kind of put himself in front of everything and say Anything that happened over the last three hours in that game, uh, good or bad, I mean, not that he's trying to take credit, but, uh, I mean, in fact, he'll do the opposite. If they win, he'll say it's a player's game, and and that's why we won. But if we lose, well, it's on me. And I use the word hollow. I know the point that you were making in terms of the locker room, but... He does mean that. He's not just saying that.
0: No, I'm not saying he doesn't. I, I just think he hurts himself in public perception with the way he handles those settings. And again, we don't know what he says behind closed doors. But what, what we do know are the lack of accountability in his comments, that no one's ever really taken the task, or weight is never assigned to things that go wrong, and those things then don't change in the field. So the public connects a dot there and assumes that they're, they're not being treated seriously or not being addressed. Maybe they are behind the scenes and it's just not working, but from the public comments to the lack of improvement in those same areas on the field, it's easy for one to draw the conclusion that there was a lack of accountability. And I, yeah. I just think he, hurt, he hurts himself with his comments, and I, I do like Clay, and I just wish for his sake he... Would say things differently sometimes, or not say some things that he says, because it's not helping him. It's not helping this team ultimately.
1: Right. He takes accountability, but he does not execute accountability.
0: I mean, he, he was asked uh, both both Saturday night and last night about the chippiness on the field, Biggie Marshall's uh, penalty, which ultimately extended Cal's game-ending drive, and every time he just said, "Well, you know, our guys are our guys are competitive." Both teams were competitive. And for a team that's been so heavily penalized, that comment comes off almost callous to the concerns of being a disciplined team and not making those kind of mental mistakes in key moments.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that one up because it, it kind of it, it shows a different issue than the other two plays that, that I harped on. The fumble by Amon Ra with a freshman and kind of, you know, needing to learn the, you know, the, the importance of that moment for them. And uh, I don't know that you bench Amon Ra because of that play. I don't think that that's how accountability would work. I feel no. like it, I feel yeah. like it's more like in in that moment he was not prepared for the situation the way that he should have been by by the coaching then with with Toa, you have to make a change right then and there. You, you can't hesitate. That's where you can make you can make a switch. It's not that even that complicated. It, it's not gonna throw off the entire offense. It, it'd be pretty simple. It, it's a very simple move to make there that he wouldn't make. With the biggie one, it runs deeper. Because okay, drawing up the situation again, third and thirteen. There are four minutes left. Cal is not at midfield yet. But they're trying to run out the clock. They're trying to run out as much of the clock as they can. They really hadn't done anything on offense for a while at this point. they have gone three and out and punted a few times after they went ahead 15-14. Third and 13, they're trying to convert it. They're not running the ball because they know that if they get maybe one or two more first downs, they're running out this clock. And they're winning a game. They throw a pass downfield. Initially it's ruled a completion. And I think this matters. Because I think they're excited. And it's over on their sideline. And Biggie's over there. And from what I understand. There were people that were taunting him. From the sideline. Maybe coaches, players, whomever. That's not... Atypical, but that's what happened. And he took the bait. And he approached that sideline and he went onto the sideline. And and he kind of snapped back. I think verbally more than anything. But then he drew the penalty. Well, meanwhile, they're reviewing the play, and it was not a completion. And it would have been fourth and thirteen. And Cal is punting, Now, in Biggie's mind, he might be thinking They've already completed it. So it, it doesn't matter what I do here. Although it does matter. Because that call was objectionable from the beginning. And I happened to be right there on it. I had just come down to the field. And it was pretty obvious immediately that the receiver's foot landed out of bounds. And that guy would be overturned. I know in the heat of the moment... Biggie might not be able to to kind of go through all that and and review it and then make a decision. But to not have composure in the final minutes of a one-point game in the fourth quarter when really everything matters at that point and you're a fourth-year, a four-year senior, uh, a a four-year starter, I meant to say. You've been starting the entire time. You've done nothing but play. You can't lose your composure there. And it goes back to my point about well, Clay can't go over there and physically control him and keep him from making that mistake. That's where he has to prepare him in four years. Cannot do that. That wasn't Elijah Griffin out there. Yeah. That was Biggie Marshall. He can't make that mistake. It's indefensible. And to me, it kind of exposed a different issue with the culture of the program and the leadership and the accountability.
0: Yeah, and I want to clarify my point about the comments. I, I don't think he has to hang his kids out the dry. I totally understand the way he approaches it and what he wants to accomplish there but there's, there are ways to actually acknowledge
1: that there's a problem. Well, right, he and, defended it. He basically defended... Uh, he justified it by Biggie's competitiveness, where he could easily have made the point that, look, at Biggie was playing on the bum ankle and probably played more than most kids would have yeah. and and had given us so much and all year has been one of our best players <laughs> the entire year. This, this isn't even a PR spin. This is all true, but he could, he could even make light of all that and then say and unfortunately he picked a really bad time to not make a, a smart decision I, I get all that but but you, you have to acknowledge the fact that he made a major mistake
0: yeah because otherwise you're just you're making it too easy for people to draw a line between those dismissive comments about the significance of that moment and the fact that this continues to be an undisciplined team and people will draw the conclusion that it's not being dealt with internally as well as it's not being dealt with publicly.
1: Right. You're giving the impression that you're enabling him and enabling everyone, And, and you might be enabling them too. But whether you are or not, you're definitely giving that impression to everyone that you're enabling that type of behavior, which that ended the game. That did not lose the game, that's the point that Clay made, and he's right. No one play lost him that game. It was a, a handful of plays that lost him that game, a few of which we've illustrated already. But that one ended it. Yeah. That that one ended the game right there. There were other ones that were also severely damaging. And I think they all kind of point back to Clay, unfortunately. Who again he has so much integrity. That's why there's a conundrum here almost. Because you're looking for integrity in the program. And he's, he's a model for that. You won't find a guy that, again, will, will take on more responsibility. In terms of the face of a program. But it's, a, it's how you you instill that in everyone in the program. And, and that's, there's a disconnect there for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I, I think that he or a coach in the situation could survive this season if there was real confidence that things were going to be fixed or addressed
1: or changed. Or could be or, fixed.
0: Or could be and i just keep going back to the point that he's not helping his own case because he doesn't give off that impression and and that i think more than the 5 and 5 record the way this team plays the way this team loses does not give anyone confidence that these are fixable problems that these are merely about personnel or injuries or a young quarterback. It just seems like there's a deeper issue or a deeper something lacking from this program. And I think that ultimately is what Lynn Swan has to look at and consider as he chooses what to do at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I'd like to believe that any of the points that we're making about the pitfalls of the program Clay could ultimately fix. I think it would take a long time at the end of the day, that's where I stand. It's not that I think that he's incapable. I think that he's not ready and doesn't know how yet. And that's really hard. It, it's not easy to become a, a championship coach. And for some people it can take a long time. Some people maybe pick up on it a bit quicker. Those people are probably rare. I mean, even even for Pete Carroll, the, the guy that He's, you know, I think uh, compared to most, fairly or not, given everything that Carol accomplished at USC not that long ago, it's still a comparison that will be made for a little while. And it took Carol a long time. Uh, not meaning not at USC, but in general, in life. Sure. It, it took him a long time.
0: You know, I'll, I'll add... I don't think that clay has lost this team. I just don't think he knows how to help them find their way. I I think the players respect him. I think they play for him. I just don't think that there's a clear path to totally overhauling the identity and flaws of this program at this point.
1: I was asked, uh, by Joey Kaufman, the, uh, very good orange county Register beat writer if a case can even be made how do you make the case at this point to keep clay and i think it's really hard to make for him at this point i th- i think that's what's kind of happened with the last month where they realistically could be seven and three right now because they they're probably a play away or, or two plays away from beating Arizona State and then beating Cal. And I, I know that they won a 50-50 game versus Washington State. And if you if you take away that one, but you give them the other two, they would be 6-4. I get it because they obviously lost decisively versus Stanford, Texas, and Utah. Even though they held leagues in two of them, you can never call those wins. But... If they were seven and three right now, or even six and four, right? If you're going to play that the record game, I think that he probably would have been able to. He wouldn't have lost everyone. In terms of going into next year, there would still be a, a contingency that would be behind him. It would be small, but but I guess it would it would allow him. The year to try to win back more people, which you, you never really want to go into a year with, with your head coach in that spot. They're basically a lame duck more often than not, and, and that's what I think would have what would, would happen if you bring him back. I think now he he certainly would be a lame duck, but I think if the record would, would have been a little bit better, if they if they were seven and three right now, and if they split the final two and they're eight and four, then probably be a lame duck but now that you're five and five even with a with a split and you earn a bowl berth whether you win that game or not I feel like everyone outside the program well 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 you mentioned people are still with him in the locker room everybody outside the program has given up on Clay Hilton and when that happens, then what is what case can be made to keep him It's really
0: hard to turn that tide, as we've talked about in the past Once you lose the fan base, it's really, really hard to recover that and I think that Clay is starting to feel some of the seat, I say that because he's made he's kind of laying out the case for why he can fix this he's made the reference to what they did the last two years he's drawn the comparison to Notre Dame and how they overcame a similar down season to get back to the top of college football and it's it's almost like he's trying to to sell a little bit hey I, I can do this look what I did the last two years and and there's precedent for this in college football the team we're about to play did the same thing just recently I think he's starting to feel that heat a little bit
1: well, he definitely does, but those comments to me could could mean something more that nobody knows publicly. They could mean that he's coming back. And and that could be why Lin Swan, a couple weeks ago, I don't know why he would do it at that point in a year. It never makes sense for him to go on, on radio and, and talk about Clay Helton's status and, and he didn't make the assurance that he was coming back for 2019 which was a rumor however to even do that you're trying to sell you're trying to sell Clay why are you trying to sell Clay? why would you be doing that unless you knew that he was coming back? That, in fact that, that, would, that would kind of only be that would, that would be the only way it would make sense why do, I mean, you're not trying to sell the rest of 2018. But that, that was irrelevant by that point. They had just lost to Utah. There, there wasn't much left to, to play for, really. I realize they could have won the division, but this team wasn't going to go anywhere this season after that, that Utah loss. Why would Lynn go on radio and, and try to talk you into Clay?
0: And that's the big question. We don't know if he is able to make a move this year, if he has that full autonomy and ability to make a change.
1: I'm told he is. I know that that's the number one question right now on the message board. And every source that I've talked to, and and they've come back to me, Uh, they came back to me this weekend. That's actually the... A couple people reached out to me. Usually, you know, maybe I reach out to them. They reached out to me unsolicited. I hadn't gotten there yet because I was working all night, Saturday night and, and through Sunday morning. And they, they contacted me Sunday morning to tell me that, hey, look, Lynn could do what he wants here. He can make a move here. Now, it's a little bit tricky with the with the financials because they don't have the president in place yet. That, that would be complicated. You'd have to buy him out. Uh, I've been told that buyout is $15 million. That's... Uh, that's taxable, right? But... Yeah. But I'm told that Lynn can make a change. And I would believe that he could. Whether he's totally willing to is a different question. And then that's why I, I wrote that... I mean, I wrote my column the way I did because I would think that given what's happened this season, and especially in recent weeks, it's left him no choice but to do it, even though he didn't want to do it. He, Glenn Swann is not wanting to make a change here, but he can make one.
0: Yeah, and, and as we said, he, he gave himself that out in his comments. He did not ever say, "Play Helton is our coach in 2019. He gave off the distinct impression that he wanted him to be, but he gave himself an out. And I just I just don't know what what has happened since then to allow him to stay that course.
1: Yeah, I mean so at the end of the day, like like we talked about at the top of the, the show, my feeling is that they have to win both games for Clay to come back. Whether he should or whether you think he should or not, I think that's the reality that that he's living in right now. That he have to beat UCLA and Notre Dame and they'll bring him back. And if he doesn't, then I don't think they will. I again I don't think when Swan wants to make a change. But I feel like should they lose to either team really, which they're very different, right? I mean one one's two and eight and the other one's undefeated. And and the Notre Dame one, it could, that could feel unfair I guess, if if you feel like okay they, they beat UCLA, maybe they even play well, I don't know. And and then they let's say they play well versus Notre Dame but they lose. You could play all the all the scenarios out differently. But they lose a competitive game they're going to be 500. I think that record is too low now. That's what I think happened with the loss to Cal. That it, it pushed the record too low for Clay. Do,
0: do you really think it's, it's a matter of, of wins and losses and having a certain demarcation?
1: I, I think I, now I, it is. I, I, do, I do think so for him because had they, had they beaten Cal... And I mean, and I mentioned Arizona State before that, where they could be seven and three, even the way we talk about this team and and the way you way it plays, watching it the eye test, it does not look like a seven and three team, but they they really could be seven and three. That's not far fetched at all, and, and that's why I think that the record could have saved him. But and if they had, had they been six and four right now, and they beat UCLA, they're seven and four. I feel like, yeah, they, they could have lost in Notre Dame and, and he'd be on the hot seat, no doubt, but I think that, I think he would have come back.
0: Yeah, but I'm saying right now, as it is, five and 5-5.
1: Five. Well, that's my point, though, that the, because the record is different, it, the, the perception drives reality, and, and the record creates a perception, regardless of how you play. Last year, people think that USC played great. They didn't. They they were eleven and three. They did not play great. They were not a great team. They had a uh, transcendent quarterback.
0: All I'm saying is I'm not sure what difference the UCLA game makes at this point.
1: Well, I, I said both. That that's my point is that they have to win both because then they're seven and five. I thought that's probably where Clay needed to get to. He had to get to seven and five, and he needed to get to 6 before UCLA week because they're not beating Notre Dame. That, that's his problem now. I think that this loss probably ended his tenure because they're, they're, they're at 5 and sure, they could beat UCLA but then they're going to lose the following week in their 500 and that will be too much. I, I think this Cal loss cost him his job because I'm assuming that they can only split the final two.
0: Yeah, in, in the improbable scenario in which they upset Notre Dame, that would certainly make things interesting, and and I, I think that would change some dynamics. But assuming that's not going to happen, I don't – yeah, I agree with you. I don't see what else can change at this point.
1: No, yeah, I mean, it's not hypothetical. I understand. And I realize a lot of people, they've already fired him in, in their mind and their heart. It, it's over. But you, you have two games to play. If you beat UCLA, no matter how you beat them, you can beat them by a point. It could be just like that Calgan. It could be really ugly and you win by a point. Whatever. If you beat them, and then you beat Notre Dame, and you beat them however you beat them, they're undefeated. <laughs> they're, they're playing for the Final Four. If you beat Notre Dame after beating UCLA, you, you're you not firing Clay Hilton. I, I know people want it, and people are going to be mad at me now that like I'm saying this, but I'm, I'm being objective here. That, that won't happen. You're not going to fire Clay Hilton after beating UCLA and Notre Dame to end of the year. An undefeated Notre Dame team.
0: No, I agree with you. I, I, I'm working on the presumption that that's not a possibility.
1: Right. No, I, I don't... I'm not making that prediction either. Uh, but I feel like that is really the only way that Clay will come back by winning those two games. And I don't think they can.
0: Let's end on this. If, if Lin Swan does not make a change and does bring him back, what do they do to sell for 2019? What, what can they possibly say or do to get people on board and interested to run this thing back? Right.
1: Well, I'm, <laughs> my answer is going to scare a lot of people. They don't have to do anything. And they've come out pretty tone deaf, I feel like, for a while. They being the the athletic program, the entire program. They don't have to make a change. The public has already spoken. Like I mentioned earlier, they're not going to the games. Not like they had been for 15 years. And I know a part of that is the renovation, but I think the majority of that is the product. They'll continue to not come. So just to end
0: on this, and, and this is a point you made earlier, Adam, in mentioning how hard it was personally for you to write that column. This is not a fun topic to discuss, or it's not fun to say that someone should probably be replaced. Uh, you know, We're around Clay all the time. He's, he's a great man. He's, he'd be an ideal head for an operation if everything else was functioning properly. And I certainly didn't come into this season expecting to ever be in this place. Again, I came in, blank slate, open-minded, really looking at his record from the last two years and thinking, man, this guy has a lot of equity, a lot, a lot of leash at this point. And it really, at a certain point, you have to just be objective. And, and all I can do is be objective with what I've seen this year. And it's not about the 5-5 five and five record. It's about how they've gotten to that 5-5 five five record. It's about how they managed to lose a game like, like Cal when they're seemingly in control. It's about how that has been a continuous trend this season and it's it's just about the eye test and what seems to be clearly missing and so that's kind of how we get to this point i'm not sure if there's any any closing points you want to make adam but i I think we're pretty much like-minded and aligned with a lot of the fan base at this point it's it's just it's just hard to it's hard to sell optimism or belief that things would change in 2019 without a change at the top
1: yeah i think what you've seen what you've witnessed for the you know, for the first time now with Clay Hilton and USC is where a lot of people have been the entire time, even from day one, even when he was an interim coach in twenty fifteen and they finished the year five and four. Uh, the record may I think maybe publicly misled a lot of people. But to me it it hasn't been much different the entire time. because just with Darnold and without Darnold, basically. And that's why a lot of people did not support the hire to begin with. Because they didn't believe in where this program would be going. And, and so it's not that they gave up on Clay. They, they never believed to begin with. And it's not, I don't think anybody takes joy in being right about it. I don't, but the reality is he was wrong for the job, and that falls on Pat Hayden and the administration. They're the ones that made the big mistake here.
0: Yeah, I think people nationally or people who don't watch this team on a week-to-week basis would still look at the last two years and go, well, it's, it's a little bit rash to move on a guy after what he did the previous two seasons. It, it really is, you, ha- you have to watch how this has unfolded to have a true understanding. And I think after 10 games now that I see it.
1: Yeah. I feel bad saying what I just said even because I'm calling him a mistake. It's bad process, though, by USC. And we knew that and we called it at the time because it was apparent the way that they went about things was not good. If you're going to hire Clay Hilton, you're going to have to give him a lot of time. So, if you want to defend your decision, then you probably need to give him another three or four years. If you if you really believed that he was the right person for the job, then you're going to give him a long time. The worst thing that, that happened to him in terms of the way that this is all going to transpire, I believe, is that he won so quickly, so immediately. If they had just gone 8-4 in 2016, ended up 7-5, and five, a lot of people would probably feel differently. Uh, that People that aren't maybe obsessing over the program. Uh, people that, that aren't following it every day. And there are a lot of fans that are, that are in that place. They feel much differently about what's going on right now. They, they wouldn't be thrilled, but they would see a young coach figuring things out. Where now, he got so close to a title, or it appeared like he was close to a title the last two seasons, that, it again, it feels like like they're going in the wrong direction, and and that that's not really what was happening here. He's yeah. just learning, so uh, he. I know he'll take it, you know. He he got the chance of a lifetime, and and I'm happy for him. I always was happy for him, personally. But I don't know if professionally, this was the best set of circumstances for him to be in
0: well we'll certainly be talking plenty more about this in the coming weeks only two weeks left in the season if they are going to make a move they've got to act fast uh, with college football the way it is today with the early signing period if you don't have a guy in place there at the start of December you're, you're really risking a lot with your recruiting class so I, I think that we should know one way or the other here in the next couple of weeks and uh we we'll
1: from there. That's a good point. I forgot to mention it earlier. You're right. They they couldn't stall on this. They, they can't let the bowl game unfold. Let's say they spread in there. They're going to a bowl game. It, it can't be about that bowl game. It shouldn't be anyway, but they have to. In fact, they have to be doing the legwork now. And, and That's what you saw when they brought in Sark and they, they made it official two days after the regular season finale versus UCLA, that's pretty much what they have to be doing right now. They have to be on it and have someone lined up in the next couple of weeks so that they could take over within a week or a week or so after that Notre Dame game.
0: If a decision hasn't been made by this point, you at least have to have already figured out your options in mean, the event you do make a decision. You can't start fresh in two weeks. So I'm going to give Lynn Swan the benefit of the doubt that he's either made his decision to keep play, or he's well down the road on figuring out where he goes from here if he does uh, ultimately choose to let him go.
1: Yeah, I kind of reported a few weeks back, I was told that they had put out feelers to uh, a few people uh, in October.
0: And that would make sense, for sure. Well, Thank you for listening to the Trojansports.com podcast. Um, even though it's the season's not really heading anywhere at this point, there's still plenty to discuss, plenty to cover. Uh, we're keeping the site flush with the content every day. Uh be a lot of recruiting stuff coming up. We have a couple pieces up Monday that should be of high interest to USC fans. And we'll keep bringing the podcast. Adam, thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll see you next time.